I'm not humble about how good of a teacher I was. Yes. I'm not. And, and my goal every single year was to get my kids reading on grade level by the time they walked out the door. Every year I'd be like, okay, we, we did it. There's no such thing as a bad kid. There's adults who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Right. And, that, and if they're misbehaving, it's on me. I haven't set them up for success. Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Virgil Village Edition. Today we talk with Liz Dwyer, a former teacher in Compton, a former education reporter, founding editor of Shondaland.com, and is currently the managing director of World in Black, a website created by 10 different black news publishers around the country. We'll talk about what it was like for her growing up as a mixed race girl in Chicago, why she chose Virgil Village to raise her two sons, ghosts, black hair, and also her love of Depeche Mode. So please welcome Liz Dwyer. I am here with Liz Dwyer. Hello, hello. What neighborhood am I in, Liz? You are on the exact border between Silver Lake and East Hollywood. So if you go to the east, you're in Silver Lake. If you go to the west, you're in East Hollywood. And now about, they call it Virgil Village. Virgil Village is the neighborhood. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, how long have you lived in this amazing apartment? I have lived here since 1999. So you lived at your place longer than I've lived at mine. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, this isn't true. I lived downstairs first in yep. 1999, and then I moved up here in 2000 because the guy, Mr. Bobert, who lived here, he died. And the one downstairs was haunted, and it was perfect timing. So exchange one ghost for another. Shout out Mr. Bobert. Yes, he was awesome. Was he awesome? Yeah, he was pretty cool. You didn't mind hearing him clanking around up here? No, and also, too, he was a, a National Geographic hoarder. So at the time, I was teaching in Compton, and so I was like, perfect. Magazines to take to my students, and they can cut them up and make crafts out of them. You were an elementary school teacher? Yeah, I taught third grade at Carver Elementary in, in Compton Unified. So... Shout in, out, Carver. In the the early 2000s. Yeah, I started teaching there in 1998. That was my first year there. Was it dangerous down there? You know, I always say that it was no more dangerous than any other neighborhood in L.A. Like half the people are crazy. Half of them are not. It's just they just have less money to cover it up. I A long time ago, I spoke with a um, public school teacher in Watts. And she said one of the, the crazy things that she never expected was... She had to like buy school supplies for the class and a lot of the students. Everything. Did you have to do the same thing? Yeah. So when I started teaching in Compton, it was actually right when the district had been taken over by the state and a guy named Randy Ward came in and he was the state administrator. And, uh, you know, people had embezzled millions of dollars and all that sort of stuff. So one, there was no photocopier. And my principal would say things like, did they have a photocopier on Little House on the Prairie? No, figure it out. So I was like, all right, good point. Is it though? Well, did those little girls end up being incredible? No. I mean, but you you, you just have to get creative and you'll be like, oh, it's old school, like with the overhead projector, you know? So there were no whiteboards and, and I came from like the East Coast and I would dress in all black. And so I would get chalk dust all over myself every day. It was amazing. Did you enjoy your time down there in Compton? Oh my gosh, it was the best. I think that's what saved me when I first moved to LA. Yeah, because it's like you leave school and you go to like some party on the west side and people are offering you cocaine on a key and then you're like, I don't do that, I'm a teacher. And then they're like, oh, you're a teacher? Oh yeah, no, 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 you can't have this, so. So key bumps just like the GOP parties. Yeah, exactly. Who knew that me and Madison Cawthorn had something or however the heck you say his name, we had something in common. We so. probably have a lot in common with him. I don't know. I don't know. I hope not. I mean, I like to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a yeah. lot of friends. I think, okay, so you're a journalist now. Yes. And I have a lot of journalist friends who probably would also be teachers mm -hmm. if it paid what good journalists get. Yep. Be and it doesn't. Not even close. Not even close. And, and, and it's not just Los Angeles salaries. I mean, Compton had some of the lowest salaries. Like if I had been working in LAUSD, maybe I would have been like $5,000 more or something like that. But, but yeah. And then you take that salary and you've got to go to like the 99 cent store and buy like your supplies. Like 
You cannot expect your students to come in the door with anything, not a pencil, not paper, not notebooks, nothing. And because their family is poor or because that's the culture of not trying to because I have a friend up in Oakland yep. who um, who teaches. Yep. And he said that the culture there is the kids make fun of the kids who do homework. Mm, well, then I would say that that's a teacher that has to figure out how to invest the students in their big goals and make doing homework cool. And if in my classroom, like if you didn't do your homework at home, because whatever, whatever is going on. Oh, guess what? We can all stay in here at lunchtime and do it. Good for you. So you don't get to play because you're not going to be 16 years old talking about I don't know how to read because <laughs> something was going on at home and I couldn't do my homework last night. So nah, like mm -mm. Uh, before we, we talk more about Virgil Village, tell us one thing about Compton that you learned that a lot of people would never know without actually working there. Mm. I mean, it was interesting because it, it has changed so much. I feel like people know about the Compton Cowboys now, but back then people didn't know. And so, you, you know, you would be driving along Central Avenue and there would be, you know, kids riding, you know, in back of like their mom or dad on a horse. A uh, ton of roosters down there, which was always amazing. I knew I was late to school if I pulled in the parking lot and the rooster was not still crowing. Um, <laughs> so hold on. When you mentioned the Compton Cowboys. Yes. These are real black cowboys. Yes. Yes. Just cruising around Just the streets. Just cruising around the streets. And you it's know? because there's places that yes. you can have a little stable for your yep. horses yep. down there. Yeah, you can have like a stable for your horses, ride them around town, and it's all good. And I, I love that because I was like, yo, I'm, I'm in the like for real wild, wild west. Like this is like culture. Like... And I didn't, you know, it, it, it's that Chicagoland black culture is so different, I think, from L.A. black culture. And so that was like one of those things where I was like, yo, I would never see this in Chicago. So I can hear your Midwest accent, <laughs> which is delightful to yeah. a fellow Midwesterner. Where in Chicago did you grow up? Out by DeKalb. DeKalb? Yes. De okay. Again, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, DeKalb has the greatest logo. It's a pig with a with an ear of corn in his mouth. I did not know this. <laughs> well, I was in marching band and DeKalb, I think Illinois State is in DeKalb. It, Northern uh, Illinois. Northern Illinois yeah. University Northern is, Illinois. Is, is there. And it's a huge um, marching band competition. Yeah, see, I didn't know any of this because my family had no business living out there because at the time my mom my mom's black my dad's white and you know my brother and sister who is seven and nine years older than me were getting called the n-word a lot getting like you know poop thrown on them no yeah like all Be of that because you really are in the sticks like yeah farm corn everywhere yeah you're you are in the sticks like it it's small and you know, I think when they bought that house, I think my dad probably went and did not have my mom with him so that they would sell him the house. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've seen him do that a lot of times, actually, wow. with different things. Like we will will literally put his whiteness to work and be like, you go in there and ask like. Uh, Where'd you go to college? Northwestern. Did you really? Yes. You yes. didn't want to live, leave town? No, you no, I decided it. I wanted to go to Northwestern when I was 11. The the Nittany Lions? No, 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 no. Northwestern in, in Evanston. Yeah, yeah. What, what's, what's the name? Wildcats. The Wildcats. That's Wildcats. right. Wildcats. Go who are, Cats. Who are the Nittany Lions? Who am I thinking of? That's who? some other school. I, right. The Wildcats. Maybe that's who it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've smoked a little too much weed. <laughs> no offense. Sorry, Ma. Uh, okay. You didn't want to leave Chicago. Well, I think that's lovely. I To me, that reflects that you loved your childhood, that you loved your family upbringing and your friends. No. <laughs> no, that reflects what did that. What it mean? No, that reflects that I'm obsessive. I can remember driving past Northwestern when I was 11 and being like, looking out the car window and being like, ooh, that looks pretty over there and seeing all the students walking along Sheridan Road and... I asked my mom, what's that? And she's like, oh, that's Northwestern. And I was like, what's that? She's like, it's a it's a college. And I was like, oh, OK. And then I went to the library because we had to go to the library every single Saturday. And I looked it up and I was like, OK, this is what kind of like SAT score you have, what kind of GPA, here's what it costs. Like, oh, OK, so I'm going to have to get a scholarship for that. 
And from that point on, it became my mission in life to do anything I could academically so that I could get into that school. Just because you liked what it looked like, the curb appeal. Yes, yes. Okay, so fast forward, you have yeah. two incredibly handsome and talented yeah. sons. Yep. Did you get on their butts about college? So my oldest son, uh, you know, he went to Loxa um, for, for high school. Loxa? Yeah, L.A. County High School for the Arts. So that this, school this that's, that's... Across on... from the, 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 the Catholic Church? Across the freeway? No, 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 no. So that's that's Grand Arts or VAP or whatever okay. they're calling it these days. Yeah. No, Loxa is the one that's on the campus of Cal State L.A., Oh, there's yeah. a high school there? There's a high school there. Okay. It is it is the best arts high school in the city. Or actually, I would probably say in the whole state or on the West Coast, actually. Uh-huh. So it's a tricky thing because it's technically public, mm-hmm. but you have to uh, have a portfolio or audition to get in, which lowers the barrier, you sure. know, entry, especially for, for kids of color. And I remember when we went there. Why especially for kids of color? Okay, so you, first of all, you have to know about it. <laughs> Right. I I work in education. I worked in education. I was an education reporter and I didn't know about LAXA. It, it's news to me. Right. And so it wasn't until like Olinga's best friend's mom was like, oh, by the way, I bet Olinga would really like LAXA. And I was like, what is that? That's how I found out about it. So you're saying in white communities, they know about it a little yes. bit more. Yes. OK. Oh, yeah. So that's number one. What, what was his audition? He had to have a portfolio of drawings and paintings that he did. So okay. you tell me where where is an art store in South Central where you're going to be going to buy some oil paint, some, you know, uh, charcoal and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. No. Right. No. And, and if you are not self-taught, which a lot of those kids in South Central are, absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, but... A lot of them also, too, that I know they do like either graffiti, street art, mm-hmm. cartooning, mm-hmm. tattooing, of, tattooing. Lox is not interested in that coming in the door. Olinga actually wanted to be the next Jim Lee. He was hardcore into comic books. Oh, right. I don't know anything about comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look around here, it's it's comic books, graphic novels everywhere. Okay. Yes. And he, I remember telling him, just don't talk about that. And and I knew from talking to people, like, do not submit any drawings that have any cartoony, anime, mm. any kind of stuff like that, because they won't want you. Yeah. So there's that piece. You got to have a parent who has a Saturday off to take you, because you had to go to an info session. They would give you a code at the info session that then you are going to use for your online application. Oh, my God. So if you did not go to that info session, you right. don't have the code. So your parent has to have a job that enables them to to have that time off. Yeah. You have to have transportation to Cal State LA. Because there's no public, even though it's a public school, there's no buses. You could take a bus out there. There's like a Silver Line that runs from Union Station, Silver Line bus. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a time commitment. Well, because somehow you got to get to the you Union Station. You got to get there, right? And I don't even know if it runs all that consistently on Saturdays. Well, back then it didn't. No, no. So. Yeah. So you drove, yes, I drove all the time. There. Oh my gosh, that was hell. Was Laxa worth it? Oh, absolutely. I'm seeing. I see art. By the way, your apartment is fantastic. Thank you, thank you. There, it's incredibly colorful. Yeah. Is color a big deal to you, or is this their influence on you? No, it it, it is a really big deal to me. I I pay attention a lot to energy and how things feel. And I think sometimes people don't really expect all the color because being a Depeche Mode fan, they think you're like hardcore goth and that you're going to be dressed in black all the time. And, you know, and I did go through a phase like that. I Actually, I went through the phase like when the Bulls championships were going on where all I wore was red, white, and black every single day throughout the entire playoffs. Like I was like that dedicated. And this is also why I still don't rep the Lakers because once you've been a Bulls fan like that, like. So did you get into Depeche Mode at Northwestern? So, so actually, Depeche Mode was one of the other reasons why I went to Northwestern. So I was, um, so my brother was was a drug addict. Okay. And uh, he, um, what kind of drugs? 
All the drugs. All the drugs. All the drugs. So a true the, addict. A true addict. Whatever but primarily was cocaine. Um, like I, I grew up like he freebased in front of me, like want to see how this works. Where like, did he get the money? Oh geez. So he was also very good looking, and uh, he was very skilled at getting girls and their mothers, not black girls, to give them ca- him cash. Wow. He would tell these families. Crazy things like his parents were skiing in Europe and had left him with no money at all. He just needs like 10 grand. That's all I need. That's all I need. And they would give it to him? They would give it to him. They would give it to him. Okay, well, maybe this is why white men are afraid of black boys. (laughs) (laughs) And then literally, like, he would kind of like disappear. He'd be like, oh, yeah, when my parents come back from Europe, they'll, they'll give you the cash back. And like... My parents, eventually someone would call, you know, because there were phone books back then, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they, you know, didn't be like, my dad would be like, listen, I'm I'm like a teacher, like, and a musician. Like, no, we're not, you know, balling out of control like that. Like, what? So that's how he got the money. Yeah, so that's how he got the money, and which meant my parents were always, um, you know, having to, like, pay somebody back for something and, you know... Um, you know, like, so like when like everybody's like wearing, like, you remember like Coca-Cola sweatshirts and like all that sort of stuff. Like I was, I had like the Woolworths tennis shoes and no. the, the, the Wrangler outfit, blue jeans. Oh, those horrible hell days. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so he, um, so I had insomnia a lot as a kid because mm. I just never knew what the heck was going to be popping off, you know, mm. like because of his, his drug use. And um, uh, I had also sold like a shit ton of like chocolate and like one of those like fundraiser things. And my reward was a radio, like with the, you know, with like the old school antennas up the side. Yes. Yes. And so I would listen to the radio all night long. What's, what station? I would listen to B96. Mm-hmm. I would listen to WGCI. WBMX, of course, like all the... None of these are playing Depeche Mode, though. No. These are black stations. And and I would listen to to WNUR, which was Northwestern Station. Yes. And so one night uh, in 1983, <laughs> they played Just Can't Get Enough on the radio. And it was like a bomb went off in my brain with the sound of it. And I remember they were like, you are listening to 89.3 WNUR, Evanston, Chicago, the new music FM. And that was just can't get enough by Depeche Mode. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I got up out of bed and I didn't even know how to spell it exactly. But I wrote down like the approximation of it. And and then I was like, I think when I go to Northwestern, I want to like work at that radio station. Wow. So did you? Yes. Yes. Nice. Yes, I did Street Beat, which was the house and, and techno and hip hop show. Chuck D was actually one of my my very first big interviews, actually. Isn't he the greatest guy? He's the greatest guy. Yeah. I loved him. So yeah, so that was that was how the Depeche Mode thing got started. And then every Saturday, it was a rule with my mother, we had to go to the library. Right. I love that rule. Yes. Every Saturday without fail. And so I would look at the music magazines that they had and be like, Depeche Mode, Depeche Mode. And then one day I saw it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's how you spell it. Ooh, it's a French thing, you know, like, cool. <laughs> and so then I started harassing my mom, like, could I get a Depeche Mode record, whatever? She was like, what are these people about? No, absolutely not. Because what did she, she, what did she see? Oh, you know, she saw his, like, picture of, like, Martin Gore with, like, some leather and some, like, you know, black, like, bondage gear. And, yeah, she was just like, oh, oh heck no. Because what does that mean to her? Uh, that means that you're insane and deviant and probably some sex craze, something, anything you basically don't want your teenage daughter or, or tween daughter involved with. 8384. 8384. So, but like Purple Rain had just come out. Oh, yeah, that was, was not was allowed she either. against Prince too? Oh, yes. Yes. And I, one of my cousins, my cousin Wesley, actually had Prince's first album and he lived with my grandma and I remember him playing it one Christmas and like it was like a family <laughs> scandal. Like, you would have thought that he had invited Satan into the house. Like, well, kind of. Kind of, you know? <laughs> and I was all like, ooh. But so, so, yeah, there was no, I actually did not see Purple Rain until I lived here in LA. I'd never seen it. I didn't see that or Flashdance or none of it. 
So like any of like the dirty dancing, dirty dancing, none of it. Uh, what was the one where they weren't allowed to dance? That was um, Footloose. Footloose. I saw Footloose randomly. That was, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I maybe because I'm childless mm. and I only look kind of from afar. Yeah. About what raising kids are all about. And I feel like I had a good childhood. Yep. And I loved both of my grandparents, the one mm. that hit me with the purse gun and the one who just chain smoked and told me to go to the library. Yep. I love them all. Yep. Um, I get pushback from my friends mm. when I say, how come you don't hit your kids? Mm. Or when I interviewed the, the guitarist of uh, Dwight Yoakam's band mm -hmm. and I asked him, how come I don't see kids riding their bikes around these neighborhoods, especially um, Eagle Rock, yeah. which is a nice neighborhood. Yeah. A lot like Ev Evanston. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like, just because we grew up that way doesn't mean that the kids want that mm. or it's the right thing to do. So my question to you is, did you hit your kids with a spatula? <laughs> Sometimes I wish I had. No, I... I'm sure you wanted to from time to time. I wanted to. I wanted so to. So why, why is it that Gen X and younger didn't... Didn't? Didn't? I think because we we tell ourselves that we were okay, that we're okay, but we maybe are not. When we look in the mirror and we're really honest, we're like, yeah, we ain't okay. So we see that and we were like, okay, I want to do better than that. Mm. Like with my boys, I was like, you know what? I think if I hadn't been a school teacher, mm. right? That's what really did it because you can't hit the kids and you got to figure out like right. what you're going to do with them. And I taught a, a group of kids in Compton. It was, it was called the accelerated learning program. And it was basically just kids who could not read on grade level. I had like students who were turning 11 in the third grade because maybe they'd been retained a couple times and they could not read like maybe past like a early first grade level mm. if I was lucky. And so how do you get attention at school? You get attention by fighting and like misbehaving and throwing things in the classroom and trying to stab a classmate with a pencil or something like that. And I was just always like, oh, okay. And they'd be like, oh, Ms. Dwyer, you're a bitch. I'd be like, but can you spell that? Yes. Yeah, that's why we're here. So go ahead and have a seat, baby. Could they, could they spell it? No. What? No. no. That's the first thing I would want to spell. Right? Like so they that went, would shut them down? One time, one time, one of the kids tried to write a note cussing me out in the note and I was like I read it in front of the whole class too because I was like I was like okay I'm not really sure what this word is supposed to be right here I said this is why y'all are here so wow. whoever read wrote this like let's be clear you know I don't want you to be like 40 talking about I can't read and da, da, da. I should have listened to Mr. Wire's class um, but I grew up with kids like that so I was like I'm not faced like okay you can cuss me out throw whatever you want but all right, now are you done? Let's learn. This is this is kind of breaking my heart hmm. because if if there's cops out there making two hundred grand, yeah, you should be making three hundred grand. No, because sure. that classroom of children, of fucked up, not because of anything they did. Yep, these fucked up kids. You probably made hundreds of kids' lives much much better. This is one thing I'm not humble. I can be humble about a lot of stuff. I'm not humble about how good of a teacher I was. Yes. I'm not. And and my goal every single year was to get my kids reading on grade level by the time they walked out the door. So that meant you had to be on almost to like fourth grade level by the time you walk out of the door. And every year I would be like, okay, we, we did it, you know, except for like a couple of y'all, like, <laughs> which maybe it was a little bit too, you know, there was a little bit too much, you know, but... <laughs> But yeah, you know, like it, it's just, you realize that kids that if they, there's no such thing as a bad kid. There you really believe that? Is, I really believe that. Mm -hmm. Like in that situation, there's adults who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Right. And that, and if they're misbehaving, it's on me. I haven't set them up for success. Good for you. And so because of that, like when my kids would be doing whatever, my two sons would be doing whatever, like I'd be like, okay, I got to step back and be like, I didn't set them up for success in this situation. <laughs>
let's talk about where you work. Yes. Because I think it's fascinating, the website that yeah. you work at. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? Word in Black. Word in Black. Word in Black. Dot com. Word in Black dot com. And it seems like it's a collection of black newspapers. Yes. So, so after, um, you know, after the death of George Floyd, uh, you know, you have these legacy black publishers that some of them have been around, I think, since, you know, the Afro uh, is going to celebrate their 130th anniversary in August, uh, which is amazing. That's the Baltimore Afro. So in all of these legacy publishers, they know each other. Most of them are family businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so 10 of them got together and they said, you know what, we need to step up and and be the voices telling the accurate story of what's happening in black America. And so they decided to create a collaborative um, called Word in Black. And so it's 10 of them coming together, pooling their resources. And what you see oftentimes, I think, in media is you see like, you know, the framing of of local stories from a national level and and people parachute in, you know, find some sources, but they don't really actually know the community and then they disappear. Freaking New York Times does that with L.A. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, of course, on a smaller scale, it's even yeah. worse. And then and then you compound that with racism. Right. You know, I, I sometimes I sometimes say that like objectivity in media is, is a euphemism for white supremacy. Like mm. it literally is. Um, I, I still I still think about like, you know, Gawker choosing to put. Trayvon Martin's dead body on their site. And if he had been white, would that have happened? I think so. Yeah, because it was Gawker. But he he's 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 but, he wants he wants attention just like your boy dancing on the table. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the but, way But but if if you or I were sta- sitting next to why can't I think of his name? The publisher. Nick Denton. Yes. We'd say Nick. Not on this. Not on this. I'll yeah. give you a different dead body if, if you right. really want if a dead body. If you really body. want a dead body. Yeah. Yeah. That that got me. Or like the, the Trayvon Martin story. The, writing about that, I think still that fucked me up. Like, yeah. you know, when you talk about like journalist trauma, writing about Trayvon Martin, having to, to report on that, like yeah. messed me up psychologically. Like so bad. What, why did George, what, George, what was George the, Floyd? No, no, no. no, no. The, 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 the murderer. Oh, Zimmerman? George Zimmerman. How did he get off? Because of Stand Your Ground? Stand Your Ground. But he didn't. He went after. Yeah, that's the thing. That is the thing. And, and that case, actually, I used to always try to get out of jury duty until that case. Oh. After that case, I was like, nah. Like, everybody, have you have to be there. Because literally, if you have some dumbasses on juries who are racist, because you decided that you want to get out of it, yes. No, you got it. You got to show up. Now I'm getting emotional. Yeah. Because it sucks that we have to be in this position. Yep. And but you're absolutely right. Black people go to jury duty. Allies yep. want to be allies. Yep. Go to jury duty and think about the fact that black people are overwhelmingly in jail yep. for shit that white people would not be in jail would for. Would never be in jail for. And and George... Uh, Zimmerman. Should be the fuck in jail. He absolutely should be. In your, your publication. Once again. Mm. Word in black. Word in black. Word in black. Blackity black, no. <laughs> word in... It's word in black. <laughs> word in black.com. Do you own that URL? Just we, redirect it. Yeah, just... Yeah, we should. We should be like blackity black. <laughs> Black, 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 and then more black. It just ends up all there. the blackest. No. One of one of the articles was about um, the Supreme Court justice. Yes, and the racism around it. Yes, and that was actually one of my original questions to mm. you until you got really real with me, and I was like, "Fuck these bullshit questions." I don't look at that as racism. Mm. I think that if it was Merrick Garland. Mm. If Joe, if Joe Biden had put Merrick Garland back up there, mm-hmm. we'd probably be going through the same thing. Same thing. Did it, just because it's of the partisanship. Yeah, yeah. It's not about black, and and I think it was super smart of Biden mm. Mm. to not only make that promise during the campaign trail, which he didn't have to. He didn't have. Well, he did because otherwise he wouldn't have gotten Clyborne to back him in South Carolina. There you go. Yep. There you go. See, this is why I talk to people. <laughs> 
People are smart. I do think that some of it is to deal with with her being black. And I think it's that intersectionality piece piece of her being a woman as well, Mm. you know? Um, But but that's why I like my Merrick Garland example. But what is Merrick Garland doing now? No, but I'm saying, if it was was an older white guy, remove the race part, and it's just partisan politics now, they wouldn't be voting for him. And they would try, they would drum up some other nonsense. Other reason, yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing about her. Like, it's good There was that nothing to drum up. Other than she yeah. was a public defender yeah. or she defended bad people. And then did you notice the bots on Twitter who were trying to, like, rile up black people against her because her husband's white? No. Yes. <laughs> yes. As if we care. Right? Well, it's supposed to be like, see, this is all Biden surrounds himself with is black women who are married to white guys. Look at Kamala. Look at her. Like, Ay-yi-yi. yeah, that we 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 know better. than. And that. then the fact that he had worn Thomas, was, did he have the Thomas Jefferson socks? And see why is she's married to a white man who's wearing the socks of a slave owner? I was like, these bots are trying it. <laughs> black Twitter knows better. They know better. <laughs> Let's go back, though, to this collection of black newspapers. Yes. Are you open to more black newspapers joining? Eventually, I think it, it's a definitely a possibility. I mean, there's 200-something black publishers. Some of them are really small. Yeah. Some are, are you know... I think they're re- some of them are really like struggling because the yeah. the it's just journalism, journalism in general. Journalism in general is is a challenge right now. Um, the, the L.A. Daily News has been struggling, struggling for twenty years, and and L.A. Times just lets them have yeah. the Valley, yeah. which is as big as Chicago. Yep, yep. I wouldn't do that. No, I would. I would for sure have. Five reporters covering the valley oh, every for day. Sure. If I was for the LA sure, Times. I'd own that shit. For sure, but, but that's I... a, but that's my pimp mentality. <laughs> that's my block. But this is but this is the thing that so so Word and Black is is a for profit entity owned by the publishers. It's owned by those ten publishers. Oh, right. So they may not want to split the pie. Well, I think that that we have to figure out like what does that look like, you know, and and. For the publishers themselves, like, uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of them themselves are going through, like, a thing at their local publications where they're going through succession sort of conversations and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that there has to be whoever, if, if there's another publication, like, say, The Sentinel wanted to come in and be a part of Word and Black. Yeah. Because at first I was like, yo, The Sentinel's not part of this? That's what I said, too. Right? <laughs> but I think that I think that it's a, a thing of... of the site isn't even a year old yet. Yeah. It turns a year on June 1st, right? Okay. So figuring out, like, how do you make it sustainable starting out with 10 and then adding more? Right. I would love for the Sentinel to be part of it. Of course. Sentinel is There's also the Wave. The Wave. Do you know that guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, West Coast needs a little representation, well, but, we but have, you're writing on it. Yeah. And we have uh, the Sacramento Observer, Larry Lee, who's the publisher up there, is yep. the West Coast representing Good. California. He's amazing. Good. And actually, uh, I loved a story that they produced um, as part of the Katanji Brown-Jackson coverage where he looked at Proposition 209 because this affirmative action you know, case is going to come up before the court. And this was before she recused herself, of course, mm-hmm. which I'm always like, you didn't have to do it. I knew you had to, but you didn't have to. But, but Democrats are too nice. Too nice. But but basically looking at not just the effect on sort of the enrollment piece, because we've seen that already reported before, but what has been the, the effect on entrepreneurship, black entrepreneurship, home ownership, mm. like the trickle down effect, you know, since everybody loves trickle down economics <laughs> of, of Prop 209. My mom grew up Methodist. Mm. My dad grew up Catholic. Um, And then my mom actually had gone to high school with these two black dudes, Andre and Tony Rachel, who were twins, Mm. who were Baha'is. And she did not know a lot about it, except that they were always talking about racial unity and justice and stuff like that. And they would have a... um, 
every June they would have like a race unity day picnic and they invited her to it. And she was like, this is cool. This is, these are cool. Dudes. And she said, you know, well, who better? Of, right. <laughs> so they, they, she forgot all about it until, um, her dad died and he died pretty suddenly in 1971. And she always talks about how he told her, like, if there's something that, you know, you've been meaning to do, do it. Like if there's something that has been, you know, you've been thinking about, and you know it's been on your heart you need to do that right away yeah so after he died she was like you know she remembered she was like i gotta find out more about this baha'i thing and um she ended up i think it was when they were were living out in sycamore um good lord (laughs) she met a woman out there who was a white woman and i remember my mom telling me that she was confused about why this white lady was always so nice to her because none of the other white people were <laughs> she was like and then she found out when she was at the woman's house lady invited her over that she was baha'i and she was like oh now it makes sense because you all are the people all about like racial unity and and blah 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 so she became a baha'i my dad freaked out because he wasn't bothered that she was a black lady right when he married her like that was like whatever he did have a problem that she was not a meth that she was not Catholic. She was a Methodist. And so he had to get, you know, like a whole thing with the church to marry her. She had a promise to raise the kids Catholic, that whole thing. So when she is like not even like Christian anymore, he can't divorce her because then he's like a bad Catholic. Mm. So he went and my dad was like hardcore Catholic, like he studied apologetics and all that stuff. Wow. Right. Yeah. So he went on a mission to be like, you have joined a cult. Like this is, oh. you know, this is not a true religion. Be- because isn't Baha'i one of the newest yeah, religions? Yeah, new, newest world religions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It started in 1844 in, in Iran. So so it's very easy to disparage it as exactly. not real. Not real. Yeah. So started in the Middle East like the other ones, but no, like not real. No, but but yeah, so he he read everything he could about it and then ended up becoming a Baha'i. Because he Be- was becoming what a Baha'i, he did too. Yeah, he did too. He did too. Because of the, the because of the racial uh, unity. No, I theme? think that was I think that was part of it. But I think that um, so for Baha'is, Baha'is believe that Baha'u'llah, which is like the Baha'i equivalent of like Jesus or Muhammad, is like the you know prophet from God for this day and age, right? So my dad literally was like, "This is true," like. Like all of like, and when you look at like biblical prophecies, a lot of them point to like 1844. And at that time, historically, there were like people all across the world were like, you know, Jesus is returning, you know, like the 12th Iman of Muhammad is like returning and all this sort of stuff. And then they're like, wait, it didn't happen. But Baha'is believe like actually it did. Really? Yes. Isn't there a beautiful Baha'i temple in Chicago? Yes, in Wilmette. That's where I got my first beasting. So <laughs> I had always heard of it yeah. and seen photos and I guess I just didn't even believe that it existed. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's not near like a freeway or anything. No, 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 no. It was, it's, it's in Wilmette. So it's what two suburbs North of Chicago. Yeah. And Wilmette is, is like such a white like place, you know, it's kind of amazing that then you have this, this incredible representation of spirituality and unity and really for Baha'is, like that concept of unity is is the main teaching, like that there's only one God. So we may call different names or whatever, depending on the language or whatever, but it's it's only one God, y'all. Is there a Baha'i church here in L.A.? So there's there is not a Baha'i temple here. So one thing about Baha'is yeah. is that we don't ex- if you're not a Baha'i, you can't donate to any Baha'i funds. There's no outside money, whatever. So since the religion is is not that old, right? Like it's only Baha'is donate to build like things. So there's a Baha'i center here. Okay. It's down on La Cienega. And there's also one in the Valley, although I'd never go to that one. La Cienega and what? La Cienega and what used to be Rodeo Row, but what's now Obama. Obama. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that great right to have that Right next to the street. 7-Eleven. So yeah, so there's a Baha'i center there. La Cienega and Obama. Mm-hmm. But I'm I don't go over think- there as much though. Especially now is there like a Rite Aid over there? No, it's so so. There's a 7-Eleven on the corner, so yeah. it's on the north east corner. 
Like if you were coming, going north on La Cienega, you cross Obama. Yeah. It's there's that Seven Eleven. It's right there behind it. Is it big? It's pretty big. It big was, enough. It's big enough. It was like a bowling alley back in the day, apparently. <laughs> and then the Target is on the other side of the street. Now I know where we're talking. Yes. Because that's the shortcut to go to LAX yes. sometimes. Yes, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you go there? I used to. I used to. I mean, be pre-COVID, I would go there. But yeah. But we tend to do like things like just in like the neighborhoods and stuff like that. So Interesting. Yeah. Because nobody wants to drive all the way across the city, like when you're trying to do like community building things in your neighborhood. Other than you, Liz, Mm. who are some famous Baha'is that we'd know? Are there any? Let's see. Famous Baha'is. Elaine Locke. Who's Uh, that? Elaine Locke was a Harlem Renaissance uh, poet. Um, Locke High School is named after him, actually. Really? Yes. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. That's why it is Locke High School, Elaine Locke. Yep. Uh, let's see, Dizzy Gillespie. What? Yes. For most of his life, he was Baha'i? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, that's pretty damn famous. Yep, yep, yep. If you can draw a caricature of somebody (laughs) and not be a great artist, that's a famous person. Yep. Let's see, who else? Um, Rain Wilson. Really? Yep. Played Dwight Schrute from The Office. Yeah. You know, he has a production studio, or used to, in East Hollywood. Oh, does he still? I didn't know that he still I th- had I it. I think he gave it away. He used to live around here, actually. So. Maybe that's why his thing yeah. over there. Yeah. His, well, when I run into wife, him. His wife was actually one of the people who first encouraged me to really to write fiction stuff. So. Will Smith. <laughs> Chris Rock. Yes. You joked how you you didn't have time to fix your hair. No. When I came over today. It looks fantastic. The berets cover all multitude of sins. Black women in their hair. Yep. Everybody has issues with their hair. Yep. And their self-identification of their hair. Mm-hmm. As a bald man, trust me, I know. Mm. But I, black women more than anybody, right? You, first, because I, 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 you don't touch a black woman's hair. No, I don't think you should touch anybody's hair, though. That's it, just it, gross. It is, it is a, it is a power play. It is, right? Yeah, there was a white lady at the Griffith Park pool one one summer who got mad at me because I wouldn't let her touch my hair, and then she called me a bitch, and it was like it turned into a whole thing. And I was like, "Yo, black women are yeah. different about their hair than white women," wouldn't you say? Well, I think because our hair is always, it's always categorized as it's something that has to be controlled and conformed. And, you know, I used to wear my hair straight, actually. Um, you had a straight iron? Or no. a straight, a straight comb that oh, you my put goodness. on the stove? Yeah, yeah. I, some of my, my favorite childhood memories, actually, are like of my mom, you know, with like her like pressing comb over the open flame, yep. straightening my hair with it. And then when I was in high school, I got a relaxer because mm-hmm. that seemed like what all the grown up when you were grown up, like you got that and then you didn't have to, you know, yep. go through getting your hair pressed. Um, Did it but, work? The relaxer? It, <laughs> it did. It, well, this is the thing. Like it was just it was either the relaxer or the jerry curl. Like you right. just, it was like one or the other. The 80s, not the a lot 80s, of options. Right. I wanted my hair to look like Jody Watley's. I was obsessed with oh, Jody Watley. She was something. She was something. And and I feel like she does not get like the props that she should for You're as groundbreaking right. as she was. I haven't heard her name in a long time. Oh my goodness. I lo- I saw her actually at um was it at the Fonda a few years ago? She was amazing. Still has it. Still has it. Still has it. But but yeah, so I wanted my hair to look like Jody Watley. And I can remember I can remember my mom doing my hair and my aunt Sharon was there, my, one of my mom's sisters. And my aunt said to me, for a mixed girl, you have some of the nappiest hair I've ever seen. And that was, I was like, oh wait, like, is that bad? Like, right? you know? And so it was sort of like they had a conversation about how they had thought maybe my hair would be like a looser curl than it was mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, Does that happen with mixed people? 
do they have less nappy hair? Well, well, I, I think it, you know, we have like sort of a, we have in our head, I think because of the media, an idea of what people who are half black and half white should look like. <laughs> we don't. What, what, who, who, who's the epitome of, of that? Oh, it should, you should look like, like Paula Patton, you know, or Paula Patton, Halle Berry, Mariah Carey, you know. Mariah. You know. She does have good hair. Yes. The whole quote unquote good hair thing. Right. Exactly. Which is the irony of Chris Rock. Yes. I did not have good hair. Mm-hmm. And so, and then people would think that it was because my mom was the black one. <laughs> They'd be like, well, see, if you had a white mom, you would have got the good hair. These scientists. Right? It's like, <laughs> eh. but I just knew, I just knew that like, like I went to like a, a Catholic grade school where it was like super waist length, long hair, you know, white girls. And I didn't have their hair. Mm-hmm. And so, and I had to do different things to my hair. And so like, they weren't spending the night at my house. So <laughs> they didn't really, you know, it, it just was, it just was like, it always like that thing of like, you, you know, that if you want to go into like the, the, the store at the mall that does hair, they're not doing your hair. That's true. You know? And so you're not normal in that regard. You're not. You know? Yeah. You can't get, go anywhere and have it done. You're not normal. Our hair is different. It's totally so, different. So my question to you about Chris Rock, shouldn't he have known better? Mm. He did the movie. He knows about black women. But I thought in it's that movie- It's a joke about a black woman's I thought, hair. I wasn't a fan of, of his documentary. Right. I wasn't a fan of good hair. I thought that, that he was- I thought that he was, it was a little bit of like making fun of, oh, look at all the crazy things that black women put themselves through, you know, and like the whole thing of like, don't touch her weave during sex and all this sort of stuff. And it's, it's sort of the thing, like, you know, I go back to like colorism and I don't know, Sammy Sosa and his color changes, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't make this shit up. Right. We did not create this system, yes. you know? So, so you're making fun of us for doing something that we are doing in response to white supremacy, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's not cool. Like, that's right. Get to the, get to the root of it. You know, like this is, this is a response and, and acknowledge the creativity of like, here's how we're trying to function in a system that if you show up to work with your hair, looking like how it grows out of your head, you will not have a job. That's right. You know, it wasn't until this year that the freaking crown act, you know, got passed nationally, you mm-hmm. know? What was it, 2018 when it got passed in California? That was another article on your homepage. Yeah. Is, yeah. is, is, is did you write that? No. Mm-mm. Somebody else wrote it, and it was about how black natural hair. Yep. What was the, did the HR person say, you, you won't be hired like this? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if you, for example, like everybody loves Disneyland and everyone knows that Disney has their notorious dress codes, you know, but like, you know, whether it's like mustache beards, like all that sort of stuff, having to wear the hosiery, even when it's hot as hell down there. Yeah. But I know someone black who worked at Disney back in the day who was like, you literally could not have your hair in cornrows or braids. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure like what it is now, but I remember her telling me that like that yeah. she, she loved to wear her hair in braids, but she had to, to straighten it chemically yes, so that it could be acceptable to work at Disneyland. Yes. And that's, that's the thing. Like the white girls aren't being told, you know what, you're going to have to chemically alter your hair mm-hmm. in order to be able to work at this place. Did Chris Rock do the wrong thing by messing with the lady's head, head and hair? Also, you're a cancer survivor. Yes. So I was it, bald. So the, you I were? I was bald, bald, yes. This is all natural? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do have good hair because it came back. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was bald. I never shaved my head. I had like a few strands hanging on. My sister knew a joke that I looked like Gollum, which was amazing. But um, So he's hitting black woman's hair yeah. in a Alopecia. medical condition. Yep. So of course she's not gonna laugh like Will no. laughed at first. No. And should Chris Rock know better? You know, I think I tend to give comedians a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, people are always like, you shouldn't joke about stuff. But I took I took a comedy class 
mm-hmm. um, with Lisa Sunstead, who runs that like all women's comedy troupe thing here mm-hmm. in L.A. And, you know, you hear women telling jokes about all sorts of stuff. Yeah. You know, that at first I was like, yo, we're like joking about antidepressants and like you can't have an orgasm on antidepressants and that's funny. Like what? But then like you realize like that's just the the thing of it, you know, yeah. like nothing is off limits. No. Nothing is off limits. Even on the Oscar mic. Even on the Oscar mic. So th- so from that standpoint, I'm like, you know what, Chris, you get a pass. Right. From Just from that alone, you get a pass. And, and, like, and Will and Jada should know this. They should know this. I do think that there, you, 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 people should get to choose like what they put out there in the world and all that. And so some folks have been like, you know what, they have talked about like, you know, entanglements and this and that, whatever. And she said that she, she laughs about her head. she said that she laughs about her head. So blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, you know what? On the other hand, like, it is hard when you are one of the only black women in that space. Yes. And then you get clowned like that. Yes. Uh, in front of an audience that's international. Yes. I mean, when it first happened, like, I, I, I thought... I was like, you know what? Like, this is the other thing about Will. I think that because he was never like hardcore gangster rapper, he was never, he's sort of like cultivated this image of like the nice black guy. Mm-hmm. And I think some of what happened is that people were like, wait a minute. I thought he was one of the safe ones. <laughs> you know, like, like they still forget. I thought me, I was like, you know what? Like, you don't know. He could be a little tipsy. Like he could be like, you know, I completely get that most of those people who are in that audience are on something to calm their nerves. <laughs> of course. You know, like yeah. to to have to sit there yep. under the spotlight and yes. play along with the whole shenanigans yeah. for three freaking hours, please. Just the pressure of being at that level. Yeah. Because, I mean, people say, well, they're rich and they're famous. Both of those things are fleeting. That's, yeah. Especially in this town. Yep. And you can, yes, you're rich. Yep. But most people don't die rich. No. So you could be making a $20 million on a movie in the 80s, and now what are you doing? Right, right. And and that fall from grace might be harder than yep. just being always poor. Yep, yep. Because you've seen the promised land, yep. and you're not invited any longer. So the stakes are very high for those people. Yep. And that one Oscar... Is, is a giant thing to them yep. because that's the first line in your obituary. And, and that's a club that very few people ever get into, you know, Stanley Kubrick is not in it. He's not in it. <laughs> Craziness. <laughs> right. And so, uh, and if you are a Will Smith person, yeah, you're lucky that this role came up. Yep. Cause a black man just doesn't get the roles that no. Daniel Day-Lewis gets. No. You're not going to be playing Abraham Lincoln. And and for Daniel Day-Lewis to be like, yeah, I'm done with that, you know. Like the privilege. the privilege of it, you know. Whereas then you have Sam Jackson who's like, just give me all the roles that you got forever <laughs> from here until, you know, in perpetuity. Like, yeah. I will take them, you know. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about, about Virgil Village? Gosh. So I moved to this neighborhood in 1999 because where I was living in North Long Beach, even though it was close to my school, mm-hmm. it was not walkable. Mm. Right. And that was something that was really important to me. Like there was a Taco Bell <laughs> and a gas station. Which is crazy because that area is like half Latino. Yeah. How do Taco Bells even exist? I don't know. And I had only eaten Taco Bell one time when I was 15 and I was like, never again. Okay. I, I don't know. I tried it once. I don't need to go down that road ever again. Okay. This is, this is something that only black people say to each other. It's a white person thing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I think it is. I think it is. I don't know black because folks that like Taco Bell. It, and we smoke pot. <laughs> so I like, never have. So mm-hmm. no, I never have. Cause you were freaked out what it did to your bro. 
Well, I mean, I think there's that. I think there's, yeah, like I, I mean, literally when you see someone free base cocaine, you're just like, nah. I'm How old good. were you when you saw that? I was like seven or eight. There you have it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, Taco Bell's for white people. Yes. And good for them. Yeah. But we live among the greatest tacos. Yeah, there's no reason to, Taco Bell should not exist in the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> I can understand the drive-through ability. Yeah, because that's when I eat Taco Bell. Ew. And and that 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 shredded cheese gets do all you, over my do car. You get, yeah, do you get like a stomach ache while you're driving? I have a bizarre stomach. Yeah. No. Yeah. That that's not what's going to do it to me. Yeah. Yeah. No. Believe it or not, a really good steak is going to give me a stomach ache. Ew. See, I've been a vegetarian since I was 17. Good for you. So, well, sort of vegan now, although I I sort of fail with the shoes and things like that. Like I'm not I'm not that. <laughs> advanced with it okay but so, so walkability yeah so of- so my friend uh priscilla forsyth who um so we were both te- teach for america core members and we both got assigned to, to teach at carver elementary she's also mixed half irish half black mm, like mariah yep so we were we she was room 11 i was room 12 um half the school i think didn't know which one of us was which at first but <laughs> she lived in this building and she lived here oh. because um she was in the movie kids do you remember that movie of course yes so priscilla was in kids did she have like a, a... and they actually filmed part of it in her house um in her she she was from new york city chloe Savigny. yes yeah, so she grew up with all of them but but who who was the latina girl um, so there's Rosario, Rosario Dawson, Dawson, Chloe, um, uh, Harold Hunter, mm-hmm. and then Casper, Justin, lived right, right across the street. Really? Yep. So when Priscilla was driving around looking for a place to live, she heard someone calling her name, and Justin was right across the street. So that's how we found this building. So she lived here. She lived downstairs in the haunted one, and then she moved over there. Um, Do Benai's, Benai? Baha'i. Baha'i? Yeah. Believe in ghosts? Not technically, but but I think that there is like a sort of like a, you know, wherever we go after we die, like obviously we don't know what that looks like. Right. It's sort of like if you were pregnant inside your mom, like like I can remember being pregnant with Toussaint, especially, and he always had his like heel on my rib and I would be poking him like, look, you fucker, stop it. Like you're, you know, and I, and I was like, I know he doesn't know what's mashing against him because you're not out here and you don't know what it is like. And I think that's what this world is like. Mm. So there's, there's, I feel like, like the spirits of our ancestors are probably around us and we can sense them and feel them and sometimes, but we don't know what it is that we're feeling. So that's how I moved, uh, moved here because Priscilla moved over there. So I moved downstairs and, and yeah, that's that. And and then Mr. Bobert died and came up here. So what made you think that your apartment was haunted? Okay. So so I Do you remember like phones, old school phones? <laughs> sure. With like you press the button, it's the speaker phone. Okay. Okay. All right. So after Olinga, I definitely I've always been sort of like sensitive. It sounds so LA to be like, I've been so sensitive to these sorts of things my whole life, but definitely I have been. And um, after Olinga was born, we lived downstairs. It was just one bedroom, me and my ex-husband. We were there, and he was just, you know, I was like, oh, you don't need your own room yet because you're in here all the time with us anyway. But I got the sense that whatever was in the apartment did not like kids. <laughs> and it, I started to feel scared. An ageist ghost. Yeah, yeah. It was just like something. I was like, okay. And I can remember giving Olinga a bath, and, and we were in the bathroom, and I had him in his little baby tub, and it got extremely cold in there. Wow. And my back was to the door, and he—I could see his eyes, and he had been sort of like singing and making his little baby noise, and then he got really quiet, and he looked scared, and I was like, I think there's something behind me, but I am not turning around. Because my dad told me something a long time ago when I would be scared. He would say, when you open a door, does the darkness come out or does the light go in to the room? And I'd say the light goes into the room. He said, so always remember that. Like, what has the power? What is really the energy? It's, it's the light, not the darkness. And he's like, don't give it power over you. 
So I was like, okay, I'm not paying attention, not paying attention, whatever. So those sorts of things have been kind of happening. And I've been like, we need to, you know, black folks, I ain't fooling around with this. Like, I asked my landlord, I was like, yo, so do you have any other apartments? He's like, no, nothing's open, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, like, we need to move. Like, cause this is not, I'm not waiting for it to get worse. One night I was asleep. I woke up because I could hear that. Remember that noise that the phone would make when it was off the hook? The eh, eh, eh. I could hear that, but it was on the speakerphone. So I got up and I'm thinking someone has broken in. I started screaming. My ex-husband gets up like blah, blah, blah. There's no one in the apartment. The doors are locked. Windows are shut. Everything. Somebody pushed that speakerphone button down. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. That's it. Wow. it like for real, for real. We got to We got to bounce. And then Mr. Bobert died like the next week. And I was like, I literally told my landlord, I was like, you don't got to repaint nothing. Like, we'll move upstairs. Right now. Right now. And your landlord was cool with that. Yeah, he, I mean. And so how long have you been upstairs? We've been up here since, uh, Linga had his first birthday up here. So he was born in 2001. So we've been up here since December of 2001. So 20 years. Yep. Any ghosts up here? Um... No, I mean, yeah, it's it's this place has always had like such a good energy. I actually had Mr. Bobert's rug for a long time. He had like a little like area rug. Um, I had that for for several years until I got like a puppy. And then that <laughs> went the way that puppies do with rugs. So what's your favorite place to eat in House Virgil Village? Well, House of Pies. I mean, I was about to say House of Pies because that's, that's my feelers. It's those feelers. Like, Did you know that that the guy who invented House of Pies also, I have. Yes. I just learned that this month. So, so when I was in Houston, before Teach for America used to do all of its national training in Houston. So before I moved to LA, I was in Houston for five weeks and ended up at House of Pies in Houston. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool place. Like, yeah. I love this. I love old school diners. Yes. So then when I came to LA and I was like, yo, it's a House of Pies. Like, what? <laughs> so it's the only two left in the country. Really? Are the one in Houston and the one here in LA. Does that one kind of look like this one? Yeah. Like a little house? Yeah. And it's like the same sort of everything. And um, uh, what pie do you get there? Um, apple with like the warmed up with the ice cream. Regular plain old apple? Regular plain old apple. I'm a Dutch apple person. Yeah, I know. I want those crumbs on nah, up top. I don't need that. Too, too fancy. Too fancy. It's either apple or cherry. That Their pecan pie is also bomb, but... Yeah. Are you a sweet potato pie person or a pumpkin pie person? I'm an all pie person. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. This is the, also the other hard thing about being vegan is like, then you oh. don't get to eat all of these fun things. So, oh. so sometimes I cheat. So I try not to, but yeah. Liz, this has been a pleasure. So, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. I'm so glad you think so. And we'll see you if you like the finished result. <laughs> I'm sure I will. It'll be awesome. How great was Liz? You know who we would like to see in DeKalb, Illinois one day? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a month's subscription to Dropbox. Here's some new microphone cables. Here's a fancy new microphone. Every donation you hand over helps keep this insane project a rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Granke, Trevor Wilson, The Lonely Chair, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, Bree Wild, and Dougie Gyro. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in L.A., and hit that button, baby. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website that I have to put my finishing touches on, and baby, that bad boy's going to be out there. Your name will be on there forever. You'll also be given a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. For example, Angelino number one is Allie Miller. Two, George Wright. Three, Rita Joanne. Four, Jason Sutter. Five, Grant Houghton. 
six, Rob Baker, seven, Kev Chang, eight, Brenda Garcia, and nine is John Griffiths. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you just paid your taxes? And mama mia, you can still help. Post your favorite episode on Facebook. We got so many. Just put your favorite one on there. Tweet something nice about us. Anytime you see me tweet, just retweet it. And for God's sakes, tell your friends about us. Tell us how Here in LA is spelled, and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and the man none of this would have happened without, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon and Jordan Katz. And I think I heard a new one at the end there. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and teachers everywhere like Liz, who totally changed the directions of kids' lives simply by giving a damn. Enjoy Enjoy the the silence. silence!